Welcome to episode 241 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. My guest this week is Kate Smith. If you've been listening to Stageworthy for a while, or maybe you're a first-time listener and you're listening through a link on the website, did you know that you can subscribe so that you never miss an episode? And you can do that by searching for Stageworthy on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and clicking the handy subscribe button. And then, every week, the new episode of Stageworthy will be delivered right to you. And if you subscribe, let me know that you're a new subscriber. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And my website is philrickaby.com. And you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And the website where you can find the archive of all 241 episodes is at stageworthypodcast.com. As I mentioned, my guest this week is Kate Smith. Kate is an actor and singer based in Ottawa and the artistic director of Skeleton Key Theatre. All right, Kate. So uh, before I get into uh, asking you about a skeleton key theater and everything that you're doing in Ottawa, my first question for you is, how are you doing with all of this? <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much for asking. Um, I'm doing surprisingly well, I think. I'm very grateful. I'm a, a parent. I have two children. I have a 14-year-old and a six-year-old. Um, and so, uh, my husband, uh, Patrick Gauthier, uh, who's also a theater maker, uh, he and I have, have been home with these kids now for like three months, um, kind of becoming their de facto teachers, mm -hmm. um, while still trying to do our work. Um, and so it's been, uh, it's been a challenge, but I, I've been very grateful to have, uh, people around to hug. Um, yeah. I, I have a lot of friends, you know, who, uh, who are especially artists, but who live on their own. Um, mm. and, uh, you know, well, I know, I think some people with children are thinking like, oh my God, I haven't been alone in three months. Um, yeah. I know that the opposite is I've been alone for three months. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I think that that's probably harder. How is, um, teaching going? How do you find, uh, trying to be your, te your children's teacher? Uh, my, you know what I, so I do, I think many artists teach, right? Um, so I, I am an, a, a, an instructor, a drama instructor. And so I work with kids all day long and man, do those kids love me. But when I go to teach my, my own kids, <laughs> are they interested? No. Um, so, uh, so all of those skills go out the window. Um, and, uh, yeah, it can be challenging to get them to be motivated and, yeah. uh, you know, my teenager wants to be on screens all day long uh, because mm -hmm. that's the only way she can connect to her friends. And you can imagine being a teenager right now must be so difficult. Uh, yeah. Right? Because all you want to do is hang out with your friends, like screw your family, forget them. But you just want to be with your friends all the time. And so she's dying right now. Um, and then my my little guy who's in kindergarten, it's, you know, Zoom is a, a very poor replacement for uh, that kind of interaction that they get, you know, when they're climbing yeah. all over each other and playing and, you know, the game is evolving. And 
Um, so we almost kind of, we sort of like have to run him every day, like a puppy. Uh, we have to take him for like three walks. Um, and just so he'll sleep at night. Uh, and, uh, you know, he does maybe 30 minutes of, uh, what we call academic time a day, um, Mm. which is about, which is about, I think what is recommended, but also kind of what he can, uh, tolerate. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so it's, um, it's been difficult because I, you know, as my husband said, he's kind of like, when you have kids. You're not necessarily signing up to be the teacher of those kids for seven no, or eighteen years. Like, of course, you're not. No. <laughs> so it's kind of like, uh, yeah. Not only did our sort of schedule change, and of course, I, I mean, our productivity as artists and as people trying to work and you know continue to feed said children, uh, our productivity has been greatly uh, reduced. Right. Um, just because you know they're around and um, they have needs, and their yeah. needs are paramount to anything else we would be doing. So it's just. Uh, yeah, it's just a it's a whole new world. But again, I am getting to spend more time with my kids. I was previously yeah. only seeing them a few hours a day, right? In the morning and then after school and then it's dinner in bed. And and now it's like we get to actually, we're biking to, uh, you know, we live in, in Ottawa and in Ontario mm-hmm. and it's, uh, we're so fortunate to have so much green space. Um, so, you know, we're taking bike, bike rides to the ornamental gardens and the central experimental farm. Like we have mm-hmm. a farm mm-hmm. in the middle of our city. Uh, near our house it's very weird um <laughs> and uh, and very cool so you know there and, and going on nature walks in the green belt and so there are a lot of other sort of beautiful moments and I just before all this happened in March I had a I had a panic attack for the first time and I had I'd never had a panic attack before and mm. um I was like overwhelmed by all of the projects and all of the things that I was doing and I think uh this, you know, and then this happened and then everything, all my contracts disappeared within about a week. <laughs> so I had the opposite problem. And I think that this has been a really great reset and a really great opportunity to really reflect on the pace of life, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, seeing my kids for only a few hours a day and then, you know, um, going from project to project to project and overlapping all my work because we're trained to do that, right? It's yeah. Famine and uh, we have to as artists in theater school, like if you're not working, you know, you're, you're failing or you're, you're not going to eat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think we just, I know that I was uh, working at this incredibly hectic pace, just caught in the hustle. And mm-hmm. so this has been, you know, I feel like, I don't know if I'm as optimistic a person as I'm coming across right now, but I think that it's been a really great opportunity to sort of be like, was that, was that healthy? And yeah. when this is when this temporary situation is over, um, have I learned something, or am I just going to throw myself back into everything that's been postponed and end up in the exact same situation? So I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping that it's the former. <laughs> it's an interesting position, though, because you know I've you're not the only person that I've spoken to who's like used to the hustle, the constant like looking like always chasing the next gig. And now there's nothing to hustle for. And I know a few artists that are struggling a little bit with that, or at least they were. I think after almost three months, you start to get into a bit of an equilibrium. But there's still all of the questions about, like, what does everything look like when when this is over? And how much, like, do I like what's happening now? Do I feel calmer? It is a a bit about reevaluating the life and, and what you've been putting into it. Yeah, well, it's so funny because I actually yesterday, um, I, my husband and I right now, I'm doing like three hours of work in the morning, 
we we'd like tag team lunch and then like he does a few hours of work and that's kind of how we're surviving and when I came from from my very intense uh, productive three hour working session in this sort of dank basement corner where we take turns working um I was like man I really hustled today uh, <laughs> and it was this like rediscovered feeling that used to just be the normal thing but um I was hustling because I'm um you know, probably like many artists sort of adapting um, mm. a lot of the things that I would normally do uh, a lot of my activities into a virtual or online format. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was um, adapting all of Skeleton Keys uh, in school and community workshops yesterday and um, reaching out to the NAC to offer sort mm -hmm. of live streaming workshops through them. And uh, then even this week, you know, um, Skeleton Key held auditions um, virtually for the first time. So, uh, you know, the, the hustle, I think the hustle is real and I think the hustle is still there. It's just, it's just sort of morphed and there's yeah. sort of like two groups that I can kind of see forming, which is, and, and I sort of, you know, shift back and forth between them, but the group that's like, you know, uh, my momentum is non-existent and I don't feel creative or I don't feel inspired to create. I feel depressed or, you know, like whatever that is, like just not feeling that inspiration and uh and then the other group that's like highly motivated um to to do everything right away and and be ahead of the the pack and um yeah. you know i kind of i'm sort of like a pendulum swinging between the two you know but uh yeah it's it's a it's a strange time so i would say the hustle is like maybe not as consistent but i do it's still sort of rearing its head <laughs> It's interesting because when this all started, there were all of these posts about if you don't come out of this with a new skill or a new side hustle or also the Shakespeare wrote King Lear when he was on lockdown and all that stuff. And and that's kind of like, yeah, but how long was he in quarantine before he was like, now I can write? You know, like <laughs> this, this whole thing is, is like there, there's like this permeating feeling of anxiety in the world. And how do you create in the midst of that? Um, I think I'm finding that as time goes on, I'm starting to feel a little bit creative, but it has taken almost three months for me to get there. Well, I mean, there's a, you know, first of all, whoever said, if you don't come up with a new skill, like fuck that person. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> like so much. It must be nice. Whatever your life is, it must be nice to not have any concerns. Um, but right. uh, but because like because again, like with children, I'm just kind of like I don't have time for needlepoint right now. You know, like we're we're barely getting through a day. Um, but uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, talking about new skills and then talking about creativity. Oh, the length yeah. of time, like getting to that mm. creative point. God, it's yeah, there's a there's a global pandemic happening. Like, I don't think yeah. a lot of people people in countries where we had time to prepare, um, you know, and, and so you know, there's the, the camp that's like make you know, making finger puppets every day and like yoga and like finding mm. things to do and fill their time. It's like and then the other people are dying. So there's a lot of uh, you know, crazy stress and and pressures and um, I don't think that a lot of people, um, a lot of people in my network, I don't know, you know, if I can speak for people in Ottawa or in Canada in general, I don't know because different places are hotspots, but like, um, I, I just, uh, oh, sorry, Phil, I'm not caffeinated. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> are we able to cut out stuff? Do you edit it? 
I don't usually, but I can. If somebody if somebody requests that I edit something out, I can. I can look if at. If I editing. totally, totally, totally space uh, without my caffeine, I just. Um, Why are you doing this without caffeine? Can we I, can we talk about that? What happened? Well, can I tell you? I got up this morning very very early to watch a funeral. Oh. Um, a family member of mine passed away. Uh, that's living in in England. Um, um, they were ill already, but ultimately of COVID-19. And so I got up at very early in the morning to watch a live stream of a funeral this morning. Uh, so mm. maybe this, maybe I'll forgive myself for being slightly scatterbrained. I think that's okay. And I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you so um, much. That's very kind. It, uh, um, but, but it, but think, but it made me think <laughs> still, mm. um, about, about liveness and about the, the funeral, um, that that live stream video will be available three days from now for family members mm -hmm. and friends who weren't able to make it because of the time difference. Mm -hmm. But I felt like it was really important for me to get up early to um, to bear witness to that event in real time. Yeah. Um, you know, it was afternoon for them. Um, but to even though that I could not be seen, like it's just a, a, a you know, a single shot live stream from above of of the uh, the minister or of the funeral director or whoever that person is, and um, you know of the of the coffin and of the family, mm -hmm. um, I, it was it was still it was very moving and and a few times you know um, the speaker sort of referenced family and friends who who were watching from mm -hmm. from a distance and 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 also from Canada because a large portion of the family moved here and um, yeah there was something about being there being present for that moment as it was happening um, that I felt I felt was really critical and that I mm -hmm. felt like I hoped that th those people, even though there was, there were only six people in attendance and what was the saddest is none of the different households could hug each other. Right. So, you know, there was no physical comfort being offered um, just because yeah. they, they can't, you know, yeah. and they just lost somebody from, from that very thing. Um, so, uh, and my cousin was actually supposed to get married two days ago and instead they're having a funeral. Right. Um, mm. and, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a really interesting, it, it just really made me think about liveness because you think about the future of, of our art form and what we do. And I think anytime something happens, uh, anything, you know, like Netflix, it's like, it's going to kill the theater. Mm. Um, and I do. I do think that, you know, the world obviously has changed in <laughs> countless ways over the last 2000 years or, um, but I think, uh, you know, I, I just feel that our art form and the, that craving for liveness and that human need for it, um, is enduring. And so I, I don't have fear about coming out the other side of this temporary yeah. situation, um, that my art form is no longer going to be, uh, relevant. Um, just because, you know, I, I got up so early today because I felt like I needed to see something as it was happening. Mm. And I needed to be part of that ceremony and that experience and that honoring. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting. You talk about the, you know, the, how long, you know, Netflix will it kill the theater. We've, people have been talking about the death of theater for about a hundred years now. Yeah. You know, only that long. Radio, <laughs> well, I mean, cause radio, TV, yeah. I mean, radio <laughs> would kill theater and then, and then TV would kill radio and theater and then move or sorry, movies would kill radio and theater and then TV would kill movies and radio and theater and all these things. And there's room for it. And they're all unique experiences. But theater is that thing when 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 you seat people in a room. 
and they're watching it, watching something happening on a stage in front of them, that is a completely different experience than watching it on a screen, whether it's a movie screen or a TV screen or a computer screen. There's something about being in that room that is completely energizing and and uh, magical. And people really feel the difference. I've, I've watched, I remember I was working as an usher in a theater and they were doing this big budget production of, of the wizard of Oz and kids would come in and they'd be like, Oh, I thought this, I thought this was a play, but it's a movie and I, you know, all this stuff. And then when the scrim went up and the play started, you would see people experiencing what it was like to see the people live on stage for the first time and realize that that's a magic thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Have, well, go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. <laughs> I was just going to say that, what makes me so excited, like my, my heart still like flutters, like skips a beat. Maybe it's a medical condition, but I think it's excitement when the lights go out in the theater uh, and just before everything starts, like, I, and this is, this is decades of doing this. Right. Mm. Um, and I'm still so excited because something could go horribly wrong <laughs> in front of our eyes. And also whatever happens in that moment unifies mm-hmm. all of us because we are yeah. all bearing witness to this thing at the same time. And, um, I always feel so much better. This is, ter- this is terrible. But I always feel so much better when I go and I see, like we were in New York city, um, last summer and saw a bunch of beautiful shows, like great work. Um, and, uh, we were there for the infamous, I don't know if you read about it. Um, uh, we saw betrayal with Tom Hiddleston of, uh, you know, Marvel mm-hmm. Avengers fame. Um, and, uh, we were there for the infamous reported on cell phone incident where, oh. A cell phone. So it's very intense three actor play. It had come from the West End. Um, it featured two, you know, two big film stars. Um, this really, it, it was sold out. Um, there were ushers going up and for, back and forth before, like, if you have to go to the bathroom, go now, no readmittance. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to piss my pants, but I am not walking out of this right, theater. Right, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. who was wearing a diaper in here? And we were all like, we were like, we are in for this moment. And we got incredible seats. And like, it was just breathtaking, like so well, so well acted, so well performed. Um, just, you know, like they were just building to this climax and at the climax. So it's, you know, finally, um, I hope I'm not giving anything away, but <laughs> it goes in sort of reverse order. Um, the, uh, the husband finally sort of figures out this affair is happening between his, his wife and his best friend. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, uh, a cell phone goes off, a cell phone ring. And, you know, there's been so much, like the ushers were like on it. They were like, turn off your phones, put on your diapers, get ready. Right. We're locking the doors, get, get ready for this show. And uh, the cell phone somehow still goes off. And it doesn't just go off like a little bit or nobody gets it. Nobody gets it. They let it ring the entire length, the duration. It is at maximum volume. And it's, the, and it's like, honestly, I think it's like the hamster dance or something. It's like, like it's the least appropriate <laughs> ringtone ever for, for anything, uh, but for this moment and for this play. And they're in the front row and you can just see the actors just freeze. Uh, and then the woman under her breath goes, is that a cell phone? Like you could just like the actress and, uh, Tom Hiddleston was literally crying while it was happening. Um, Mm. which I think led to the headline, like cell phone makes Tom Hiddleston cry. Um, he was already working, but, uh, anyway, so that happens and you know, every I'm horrified, but also fascinated. 
Um, you know, like this is a live moment. Like somebody just let a cell phone go off while Tom Hiddleston was like downstage center crying right in front of him. What's going to happen? Mm. Um, a minute or two passes. They're very professional. They regain their composure. And then it goes off again. No. <laughs> Hamster dance again. Full. Full. Full ring. Like 30 seconds. And at this point, the audience, and it's in New York. So I don't know how many New Yorkers are actually there. It's probably right. a lot of tourists, to be honest. But people start to vocalize. The audience starts to turn um, and to, to self-police, sort of police, right? And they're kind of going, hey, you have to turn that off, you know, grumble, grumble. You know, like there's like an like a noise, people doing this. and Yeah. So that subsides, you know, so it's actually a longer interruption now because the audience has had to react to the cell phone. Uh, and then it happens, like, I shit you not, it happens again, wow. like a third time, like, th- like, but I know like 10 minutes passes. So you think, but no one's relaxed anymore, right? It's interrupted. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's poked a hole in the bubble and everyone's got a little bit on edge because we're not sure. We don't trust that person now. Um, and it did. It went off again. And it, when it went off the third time, it was like a bomb went off in there because I have never in my life heard an audience flip out the way that they flipped mm. out during this thing. Wow. But they, they were roaring and somebody shouted, throw them out. Um, and just like, just absolutely uh, turned on this person. Like just, it was, it was crazy. Um, and mm-hmm. it was so loud. Everybody reacted. Everybody was shouting. Um, and the actors again, were just like very, very cool. Like, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't know how they, they kept their cool. They were great. Um, but it was so amazing that this audience just absolutely lost mm. their minds. And the, it was in solidarity for the actors, right? Cause we were so, it was so compelling. Yeah. Um, and the absolute like outrage, at having this live moment, this beautiful moment that we were all so prepared to take this journey together, uh, be interrupted by by sort of like one ignorant person mm. who was maybe hard of hearing or doesn't know how to work a cell phone and maybe shouldn't own one. Um, but uh, it was just like, yeah, I w- I'm, I'm actually kind of a bit shaking telling the story because in the moment, I feel I like I mm. covered my eyes and I put my head in my lap like I couldn't even. <laughs> yeah. I just was so stressed for <laughs> for the actors. But then also I was in this mob all of a sudden. I was part of a mob um, that were just freaking out. Um, mm. But that doesn't happen in a live stream. No, no. <laughs> you know, one of the things that's interesting, because you were saying maybe this person doesn't know how to work a cell phone. Maybe they're too old. Working in an usher in a large theater, I know there are two kinds of people who've forgotten right. to turn off their phone. Mm-hmm. First, first person and the person that's an okay person. And they, if their phone goes off, they realize that they have messed up and they essentially dive for their phone to put it on silent, turn it off, whatever. Okay. But that person is there. There are fewer of those people than the worst type of person whose phone goes off and they sit there staring dead ahead, knowing that it's their phone not doing anything, their lips pursed. They are determined not to react. Maybe if I don't react, nobody will know it's my phone, but everybody knows it's them because everybody else around them is looking around and it's the one person who isn't looking around. That's how you can, that's how you know. How that's you how you know. Ushers are like, hey, you, and they're like just staring straight ahead. They will not acknowledge it. It's They're actually the absolute worst. Oh my gosh. And there's so many warnings. There's so yes. many warnings. It's written yes. down. It's spoken to you. 
it's a generally accepted rule and form of etiquette. Um, Dear Evan Hansen had the best way of getting people to to turn off their phones because I think one thing we found if we can get people to turn take out their phone, they can't mm-hmm. forget to turn it off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what Dear Evan Hansen did was they like at the beginning of the sh- right before the show starts, uh, there's the sound of a cell phone going off. They watch the audience pull out their cell phones and then it's more cell phones. And then there's a message to turn off your phone and everybody has their phone in their hand. Right. And so everybody turns it off and it was brilliant. Perfect solution. Exactly. But you have to almost, you have to find some way to get people to pull out their phones and then you're okay. But there's always, there's always somebody in the theater that doesn't. What about, and what about the pagers? No, I'm just kidding. That's like- <laughs> <laughs> that, then you know, that person is way too old. That person is a surgeon, so respect. That person is a, <laughs> a surgeon. Yeah, we'll let that person's pager stay on. They have yeah. to rush out to do surgery. but They're literally saving lives. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to sort of shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk to you about um, your theater origin story, <laughs> which is like – what is it that brought you to the theater? What what made you want to be an actor? What was the, your road to uh, where you are now? Oh, it's like, I, I felt like Wolverine when you called it that. My, Absolutely. My I love story. that. I love because I love, actors are superheroes. Let's hear your origin story. What what happened to turn you into Superman or Lex Luthor, depending on how your career has been? <laughs> oh, well, I think we're all Superman and Lex Luthor. Um, I I don't know. You know, it's so interesting. Um, and it kind of harkens back to the work I think that Skeleton Key Theater is sort of starting to get into more, but I was, I was very determined from a young age to be a marine biologist. Um, so I did scuba diving classes and Mm. I went to the United States to work at a SeaWorld there to like to work with marine mammals. And, Mm. um, and so I applied to, uh, Dalhousie university when it came time for, for university to go, um, and study there, except I'm really not very good at math. Um, Mm. I am not skilled, nor am I confident. Um, which I think are maybe equally important at being good at math. And did nobody mention the, the math necess- uh, requirement at any point during your marine? Bar- I'm going to be a ma- marine biologist. Period? Well, I did mean, nobody- I, I did have to. I did have to do it, um, and and I did take math all the way through. And, and you know, it, it was so dutiful. Like I, I was just like, okay, I'll do it. Um, it it mm. never brought me joy. It only brought me anxiety and self doubt. Um, and uh, I, you know, I never took. I never took drama in high school. Like I was so determined that I was going to do this other path. And uh, yeah, in my, in my final year um, I, in Ontario, we had at the time a OAC, like kind of grade 13 um, to prepare you for, for university. In my final year, I ended up failing a calculus class and then I kind of audited it and then I couldn't take it again. And I, I just ended up throwing in the talent saying, you know what, this just isn't, I can't do my whole life like this. Hmm. Um, and in scuba diving too, if you screw up math, you can die. So <laughs> it like becomes high stakes math. Yes. Um, and, uh, <laughs> so, um, that was, that was concerning. Um, and I, because I was very good at the biology components because it was a lot of memorization. Um, it was a lot of, and, and it was evolution and, and, you know, its hmm. own origin story and it made sense. I guess there was almost like a narrative there. Hmm. Um, and all those pieces fit together and, um, so I was very, very good and very competent, those competent at those things, but the math piece, uh, it just did me in, 
And so mm. I, I still ended up going to, to Dell. Um, and I took in my first year, I thought, oh, fuck, now I don't know what I want to do. I'm going to take a whole bunch of different things. And uh, I took theater kind of like, I was like, oh, this will be fun. And um, they have a, it's a four-year program. They have a three-year conservatory style program, or they did at the time. Um, and at the end of your first year, you can audition for it. Mm. And over the course of the year, I guess I just... Phil, I never thought it was a real job. I'm not convinced it is still, but I, <laughs> I, I had never really considered it. But when I actually reflected on my childhood and what brought me joy, um, other than the sort of, you know, that sort of nature aspect and that scientific exploration, I was like, oh yeah, I've been hosting talk shows uh, for family and friends for years. I have been mm. making uh, videos. Um, I have been uh, singing you know, like doing all these things, but I just, I never had framed it. Like I said, I I was never a drama kid. Um, So I I came to it very late. I think I was about 18 or 19 um, when I sort of was like, okay, well, Hmm. maybe I'll try this. They're offering it at a university. Surely uh, being responsible university, this this is some kind of a career path. (laughs) Uh, So I auditioned for that program and I got in and, and then I was, then I was fully immersed um, in that world. And, uh, and I haven't looked back since. And before was- that, had you been to theater? Had you seen plays? Are you, were you, was your family a regular theater going family or yeah. was this completely new? No, no, we, we, my, my mother, uh, you know, was a big, a big fan and a big patron of the arts and of theater. And we, she would always take us to things growing up, like Mr. Dress Up Live, uh, mm. Sharon Lois and Bram, um, you know, those kinds of things, uh, being in Ottawa, we're very fortunate because we have the national arts center up the street and the great Canadian theater company, but we also have a lot of museums that have a lot of programming, you know, for kids. And, um, there's a lot of roadhouses and things that come through. Uh, and, uh, so we were, we, I, I was exposed to those things, but I just, that little button had never been pushed. I had not been activated, um, to mm. be like, this is a thing that I could do. Hmm. Um, and I had never sort of, it just had never occurred to me. And, uh, and then it did. And then once it did, I don't feel like I have any other skills. <laughs> <laughs> when, it, when it did, when you had to break it to your parents that you were no longer <laughs> going to be a marine biologist, how did they, how did they react? I mean, I, I think that I, it was no secret that I was not great at math. That was, you know, uh, that was well, well established. But I think, I don't think anyone was expecting the theater. Um, but I think, you know, my mom, uh, my dad is a pastry chef. So okay. he trained in Europe and he, he can, you know, he makes wedding cakes. Like that was his, that is his job. And he made all of our wedding cakes. And, um, and my mother uh, was an English teacher and then later a vice principal. So I think and again, like a fan of the arts. So they weren't totally freaked out by it. I think my dad was mm. always like, well, good, just get your BA and then you can go to teacher's college. Like the, the right. path was very like to a stable career that has served yes. our family well. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I was like, wow, I have such massive respect for teachers. I can't do that job. It is too hard yeah. <laughs> uh, as I am learning. <laughs> the irony of that right now in, yeah. that, in that how many people were like, oh, I could never do that job. And now they're like, oh, I could never do that job. Oh, no. Like, uh, no way. No way. Thank you. <laughs> um, let alone, and I mean, they have like, you know, 15 million other children. I only have two. I'm <laughs> yes. um, yeah. about 30 Ooh. or 60 or how many. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so, and then the kind of the rest is history. I, 
I got a gig my my very first summer in theater school at Shakespeare by the Sea in Halifax, mm-hmm. and um, I worked there for uh, for two seasons. Um, I was I, I was thrown a bit of a wrench because part of my and a very critical part of my my origin story is um, I unexpectedly became pregnant uh, in my final year of theater school, mm-hmm. and that was a really tough conversation because no student had gone through that program before uh, with that circumstance, and there was sort right. Of, can we do this? Um, and, uh, but the, can we do this actually came from me because all of mm. the staff and all the female staff at that time were like, yes, whatever mm. you need, we're going to make this work. And as it was, I went and I had my daughter over Christmas break and then I came back and, uh, you know, I got my degree and I finished my program and, uh, everybody was very supportive and, mm. uh, but it was kind of insane. Like when I look back now, I'm like, Oh my God, who would, do that. That is so difficult. What I have to tell you, when I was in theater school, when I was in my first year of theater school, um, one of the women in the class ahead of me, she also became unexpectedly pregnant in her second year, mm. near, near the end of her second year. And so there was all the, the whole discussion, what am I going to do? She decided to go through with it. And when she came back for her third year, essentially the entire school became her babysitter. Wow. We all, everybody... Um, had at least one experience of, oh, I'm taking the baby for tonight and looking after the baby during rehearsal, even if it's just sitting in the green room in the theater um, with the baby. And so it was like this baby became like the school's baby for that (laughs) period of time. And we just sort of all sort of pitched in to care for the child throughout that school year, allowing her to finish theater school Mm -hmm. and and, and to go on uh, uh, after that. But it was because everybody pitched in that she was able to get through this conservatory program through to the end. That's so beautiful. And it, and it really does take a community. It takes a village. And, and I mm-hmm. have to say, like, I had a very similar experience where, um, cause I was in Halifax and, and I don't have family there. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I really have such, um, deep gratitude to, um, all of my friends and my, my classmates who helped me in the same way. Cause I absolutely couldn't have, Done it, and and my my teachers as well. Um, I had a, mm. a singing teacher who's now based in Toronto, uh, Peggy Redmond, um, who was actually present at the hospital when my my daughter was born, mm. and uh, she uh, she was just incredible in in helping and in, in babysitting. You know, when I had to be in rehearsals and um, those kinds of things. So uh, yeah, the whole the whole staff and all of and all of the the other students were so instrumental in my being able to to finish that. And and frankly, in that way, to my you know success today, like to be. That was, you know, 15 years ago um, and I'm still working and I know that that doesn't happen all the time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful for that. And I think that, you know, in terms of that part of my origin story, not only learning that I can't do it myself, like we all have to help each other, um, mm. but uh, it, it really just motivated me even more to achieve, you know, my goals and my dreams because I thought now, now I have a kid watching me. Um, yes, right. So I don't want my kid my, the lesson to teach my kid is, well, it was hard having you. So I gave up and got whatever job that makes me unhappy. Um, and it was more like, I just, I hustled, um, and I busted my butt and, uh, you know, and I'm still, and I'm still working. I honestly think that the measure of success in this industry is like, are you still doing it yeah. ever? <laughs> Cause it's, it's interesting so because hard. I think in, in some, for some people, I think people who maybe did not spent a lot of time in theater. It was not for them anyway. They would think, okay, I've had a child. I can no longer do this thing. I have to get 
a quote unquote real job Mm -hmm. so that I can provide without thinking like as you did, the important thing is I show my child that by through demonstration that whatever they set their mind to, they can do. Yeah. It's, and I mean, uh, gosh, like, you know, I'm sure like many artists, like how often do you think about quitting? Right. Like, um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, once a month or once a week or depends what day it is. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, it's just so, um, I, I just think it's so important and, and, you know, it's not like my kid, you know, my, my older daughter at any point has been like, wow, mom, I really respect your decision to continue with your dream in this unstable industry. Um, but you know, hopefully when she's an adult, um, that she's able to reflect to be like, yeah, you know what, even though it was difficult, um, you know, my parent continued to, to persevere and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I think it, it depends to how, how people, how we choose to define success for ourselves as well. Like, is it financial success? Um, you know, is it artistic success, critical success, um, yeah. or just, you know, uh, surviving, um, which is so, so noble, um, and so mm. amazing to be able to achieve, like to be, to call yourself an artist and to derive your, your living or part of your living from that is massive triumph, uh, because it is so challenging, especially in yeah. Canada, in Canadian yeah. theater, it's, it's extremely yeah. difficult, right? Speaking, I have a couple of questions and I want to talk a little bit about both um, some of the things that you mentioned to me about Skeleton Key Theater, about how some of the work that you're working on and how you are dealing with that work in this quarantine age. (laughs) Um, Is it old enough to be an age yet? (laughs) I don't know. It feels like it. Yeah, it does. Time has no meaning. So. Um, I almost have, I think I've referred to it as an era without meaning to just because it feels both super quick, but also long. Right. So you've got, um, you've got Deluge, uh, a rock concert and the Hansel and Gretel project. So I want to know about those, but also like, what's the state of those given the current situation? Yeah. Well, um, so, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, doing the, doing the hustle to kind of get like the. For Skeleton Key, that drama workshop component is a way that we can kind of continue to get earned revenue. Um, so kind of getting that piece in place, uh, like many organizations across the country, we were really fortunate that um, our funders um, have been really flexible and really supportive as well as we move forward and our activities change. We were supposed to do a show uh, in July in Smith's Falls, Ontario, uh, Swan River, a large outdoor ambulatory show that we do um, in the landscape. And that, of course, has been postponed to next summer. Um, so, uh, in the, in the face of sort of, um, having to have this physical distancing, the way that we're still moving forward, um, we're, we're a project based company. And so we always have something in the, uh, something in the pipeline and things at different stages of development. So the Hansel and Gretel project, um, which is sort of the, the youngest project that we have going, um, takes place right now. The idea is that the audience actually are cast as Hansel and Gretel because something we often do in our work, in our immersive work is we cast our audience. Um, and they hold hands and are released down a path in the green belt into a forest. So we just release them into the woods, we mm-hmm. set them free. Um, and as they walk down this path, they encounter different helpers and hinderers in the story and spirits and animals and um, in, our, in our cast. You know, of course, uh, we can't do that right now. Um, but uh, what we are doing, we're still very fortunate because we're able to walk 
those paths. Um, mm. The uh, NCC or National Capital Commission um, that uh, manages those those spaces and those properties um, uh, is, you know, we're still allowed to to go into those, and so um, I can continue to do um, my work right now uh, independently as a creator. Um, and I was very fortunate before all this happened too. Back at the uh, I think beginning of March, end of February, um, went with a team of scientists um, and uh, biologists from the NCC um, and uh, and took a walk and with historians and learned all about the land um, mm. and this and the space and the history of the land and um, the Algonquin territory that we are so fortunate to uh, be able to to live on and to experience and to and to create our art on. And uh, it was incredible. So, um, you know, I'm transcribing those uh, those interviews from our walks and taking photos and doing all of the sort of planning so that once we're able to uh, gather again with our artistic team, we can really hit the ground running. Um, so uh, so I'm still able to kind of be in that natural environment, which, um, you know, is so incredibly healing. And again, I'm really fortunate to live in a city where I have this access to this green space that's just a bike ride or, you know, a short car ride away. Um, so that's how that that the Hansel and Gretel project uh, is is still continuing to kind of move forward, um, mm. and then and then who knows because of the fact that it is a very small uh, show for very few people at a time, um, I'm not sure how that will translate when the production when we actually get to production and if things are physical right. distancing measures are still in place. It actually a processional show is a kind of show that can happen. Um, mm-hmm. So. Um, that's interesting to think about, you know, just beyond live streaming, but what can you do? Um, what can you do in your own space and in your own community where you can continue to perform? I, I think I've seen artists in Toronto doing this, right? A uh, processional type stuff, like going down the middle of the road on a bike, um, mm. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and, and doing work, um, because, you know, like I was saying about the funeral experience or, you know, we're missing the, the liveness, the live component, mm. um, and then for our next project, uh, that's a little further, that's you know closer to production, uh, Deluge, which is a, a rock concert about rising seas um, and about climate change refugees. Um, my uh, my main collaborator, Scotty Irving, uh, who's an incredible musician, we work together on Swan River, and he's also a member of uh, this amazing band, The Peptides. Which, if you haven't checked them out, please do. I don't know why they're not famous. They're the next arcade fire, but only in like mm-hmm. the number of artists, <laughs> right. um, but like very funk, like very different style. But anyways, the peptides are awesome. Um, and several of them are actually working on this. They're part of our band for the show. Um, so we've kind of stolen a few of their members is very generous. Um, but, uh, you know, Scotty and I have been, we just conducted auditions over Zoom for, um, for a, a, another actor for the show. Uh, actor singer. Um, so that was really cool because we were able to see all these actors from a, a, across Canada. Um, so it was neat. It was felt very, just even having the auditions felt like a very hopeful act, mm. uh, that we were still able to move forward on our timeline, um, connect with these artists, uh, basically just like people sung me beautiful songs all day, like the other day. And it was mm. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and we're still trying to pay people and give people work and, and move forward, you know, um, in this time. So right now we have a workshop slated for November. Um, and a premiere for February, whether or not those will happen or in what form, I'm not sure. It might end up being more of an intimate concert, cabaret style. Like, I don't know how we're going to have to be spread out from each other. Um, but another thing that we've, we actually integrated into our project uh, was we want to record the, record all the songs as a concept album, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
if this if this does you know uh, if this era does drag on um you know we can still find ways to record our um our parts uh and our sections individually um and then create that album um and uh and that can be that can be a way of disseminating the work um and telling the story like the songs are very storytelling uh, based. Uh, and so that can be a way of distributing that work in a time where we're not necessarily able to tour it yet. Um, so as an alternative form, cause I, you know, music, I think does lend itself better to, um, to this kind of distance format than, than theater. Um, so that's, another. and there's a great history of shows that were concept al- uh, albums mm-hmm. before they were shows right back to Jesus Christ, superstar, and uh Les Mis and Miss Saigon and uh, Hades Town. So there's like that's there's a long tradition of that. So if that becomes the way that that can be pre- presented, it still doesn't mean that the show doesn't have a theatrical future. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, oh, just a just an interesting side note. You mentioned Miss Saigon. That teacher Peggy Redmond, that was present at my daughter's birth, uh, trained mm-hmm. Leia and worked with Leia Salonga when she first started. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> just a fun fact to throw in there. Uh, but yeah, the, the music, I, I just think like, um, with Skelton Key, we're really interested in working with artists from all different disciplines and it's been so, it's really enriched our process. Um, and we tend to work in a bit of a flattened hierarchy, um, where artists can feel comfortable to kind of contribute outside of their field or their specialization. So we've had for Swan River, for instance, we had um, an incredible visual artist, Mark Walter, who builds these uh, giant sculptures. And he actually ended up building all these giant swans for us out of reeds and sticks collected from the Ottawa River. Um, and at one point we were doing a composition, so uh, an improvised scene. Um, and uh, he started um, choreographing it. Uh, mm. <laughs> he's about seven feet tall. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that. Um, and, uh, he, he said, you know what? I always wanted to be a dancer, but I was too tall, but I would love to, um, come in, in this scene. Cause the stakes are low when you're, when you're composing a scene because you keep what you like and you discard what doesn't work. And, um, and so I said, yeah, Mark, you should choreograph this. And that choreographed hmm. movement actually made its way into the final production because it was so beautiful and it was so sensitive, like, uh, to what was happening. And, you know, you could see that even though he's not a trained choreographer, he's still Mm. an artist and who knows Mm. how to tell a story. And he is so sensitive to not only the landscape and the environment, but to those emotional components and to how a body moves Mm. uh, in space. And and it it was so beautiful. And I just think that that was, you know, those kind of unexpected collaborations where artists were like, I don't need to feel boxed in. Um, you know, I'm not just coming in as like the movement guy. I can also help to build this puppet or, or help mm. to do this set deck or whatever. Um, it was like, it's like when you're a kid and you're making a play with your friends and everybody yes. just does everything and it's yeah, super yeah, yeah. fun. And that's kind of what we end up doing in our mm. rehearsals. And because of that, we don't have... There's not a lot of toe stepping because people are really respectful and people are also making generous offers uh, with the acknowledgement that, you know, there are prof- there are people who that is their specialization. But um, it's been really successful and I've really enjoyed it. Um, nice. So, yeah, I think that that the having the different um, disciplines uh, really opens up different possibilities and ways of thinking about it. So instead of just thinking, you know, I'm in theater 
and and this is what it's capable of or whatever you know if you reach out to um to to that what are they doing in music right now or like what are visual Mm -hmm. artists doing um and and what are different ways we can connect with our audience that might be sort of outside of what um our initial sort of thinking about that might be i think there are so many interesting possibilities that can come when you mix disciplines Mm -hmm. and you try to put them together because you know theater has physical limitations Mm -hmm. but what can you do to elevate it out of that and what how can you use other disciplines to to sort of cheat around to work within the the limitation of of being like in a single space Mm. it's really quite fascinating to think about about how you can push those limits and of course there's also the digital question right now because you know the the video is never going to replace theater Mm -hmm. um but it's what we have now and so how can you work with those disciplines to create something that exists now live um and and is you know as as close to theater as we can get when we're stuck in our our homes like this is the thing too is because we're so used to having these beautiful things um mm. we can have operas broadcast into our home now we have netflix yes. we have movies that are um incredible like when they started making movies they didn't realize movies were going to eventually look like this like right. they're so incredible and so you just can't you just can't compare basically when you're live streaming what looks like archival footage um yeah. into people's homes it just doesn't cut it even if you are really um you know uh, a big supporter and you want to be there and you want to watch it it's not the same um i do love the liveness aspect i like when you know the shit hits a fan or goes wrong or you know you see the artist in their living room and it's a mess and Mm -hmm. um you know like there's something kind of fun about seeing that um but it's you know it's not going to compare and i also kind of i have been you know in my my sort of reflective three months here thinking what's the hurry like if this is a temporary situation Mm-hmm. Um, I realize that it has obviously like financial impacts for people, but, but in terms of like getting art out into the world, um, do we have enough content to sustain us for this? What again, like it, it feels like it's forever, but it is a temporary period. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and I can't, I can't tell you obviously if it's going to be three months or eight months or 18 months or whatever, but it's, it's not going to be forever, even though it feels like it. So yeah. there's the you know, we were talking about earlier that expectation or that feeling or that anxiety being caused by that expectation that we are going to continue to create, uh, that we are going to continue to move forward, like nothing's happening. We're just going to put it on a live stream. Um, And you know, why? Why do you need to live stream something that's beautiful in person? Like, can you hold on to that thing? Or is there a way to release that thing or get people excited about it in in a different way? that doesn't kind of like blow your load for the show essentially. Um, you know, like, I guess my, one of my questions for people that are feeling that way is, you know, what is the hurry? Why, you know, um, why do we feel like we need to birth these things into the world? Um, during, you know, right now, like, because it helps us feel connected because we, we feel obligated to by our funders or the timeline we've set arbitrary timeline now that we've set for ourselves or, um, you know, are there other ways for us to engage with our audiences and with other artists in a way mm-hmm. that um, isn't necessarily expecting a product? Like that's the, why I think the development actually in that creativity, that the development component is mm-hmm. um, working really well for Skeleton Key right now and for myself as an artist. But 
Um, you know, next week we're doing um, uh, developing a, a, I've been a part of a, several um, online like Zoom play readings and workshops, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, which are actually have been successful and are, and are interesting and, and again, help to develop and move the work forward. But there's no expectation that, you know, uh, we're not making it for a live stream. We're making it for the eventuality of the return of, of live performance and events. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I wonder, I sometimes think about the frenzy to produce and to uh, put stuff, content out into the world when we have so much content. Like I could watch Netflix or read all the books in my house until I'm dead um, yeah. and there will be enough content, you know? And um, if the unique and special thing about what we do is doing it live, and if mm-hmm. everybody we know is craving that live connection, um, you know, is there a, is there a, can we be patient? I don't know. Like I also want it's people good, to not starve. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, the problem is that, that a lot of this stuff, you know, early on in March, there was a lot of uh, rushing to get stuff online. A number of shows had been canceled. And so it was like, can I, let's get the cast together. And we'll do a reading of the play. Let's do what we can. And some very hurried attempts to get, uh, video or their, 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 whatever it was live streamed. Um, but I think as time goes on that there are things being written and created now, um, that may some deserve like belong on the stage and some as an initial iteration, you could do them, uh, uh, you know, now and maybe to maybe sort of with an eye to how does it look now how does it look then when you put it on the stage but also so many of these things are being done for free yes and so it's not a matter of like putting bread on the table because we're giving it away it's yeah it, it, well we're not being able to monetize our art form right now yes uh, because exactly. there's so much uh competition right there's so much free content that people are making available online, which is great. It's so nice mm-hmm. to have accessible content. Um, you know, we talk about accessibility all the time in our art form. And so like, um, for assuming that somebody has a device or, and an internet connection, which of course many people still do not, they, you know, use mm-hmm. a library or something like that, but, um, you know, it, it is allowing it, um, into people's homes, but, uh, but yeah. Um, as we sort of like start to get to wrapping up here, um, one of the things that I've been doing in these conversations in the quarantines or whatever we're going to call this, <laughs> um, I, I've i been asking people, what is it that is giving you joy that's getting you through each day? So for you, what is the thing or the things that are, are, are giving you the joy and the energy and the drive to get from one day to the next? Mm. Um, I always feel, <laughs> always feel pressure as a parent and be like, oh, the kids. Um, <laughs> you don't have to feel like, cause I often, I'm waiting for the parent who's like honest enough to be like anything but the children. I love my kids, <laughs> but you know, like if it, you could, we can take as a given that your kids bring you joy. Sure. Great, 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 great. Okay. Um, they're not going to, they're not going to listen to this. They're not going to sit down for long <laughs> enough. Um, even but- if they do, even if they do your kids, you give your mother joy. Okay. Come on. Um, (laughs) You you know, I think being uh, like the uh, healing uh, space and the beauty that the the green spaces are providing, like, I'm so glad that the seasons have shifted Mm -hmm. and that we can be Mm -hmm. 
outside and, you know, we can wave to our neighbors and um, walk the dog um, and, um, you know, like be by a river and look into it and all these kinds of moments in nature. Or if you're in a city, like just even green spaces or peaceful spaces, a tree, um, Mm -hmm. you know, where we can kind of, I don't know, I feel like a greater connection to, to the earth right now. (laughs) Oh my God, it's only going to be edit that part out, Phil. Um, but, uh, but, (laughs) but, um, that, so, so being in nature and then just also my art is, is really giving me life right now. Um, Mm. I'm, I feel fortunate because I am, uh, I am feeling creative. I'm feeling like I don't have a, a, I have sort of like a a surge of creativity right now. Um, Mm. and I, and, you know, I know it could kind of go either way. So I feel very grateful with that, whatever that little, muse or animus or whatever that thing is is kind of hovering around me or my house right now um because uh yeah it makes me excited it makes me feel it it gives my time structure uh, my day structure it uh it helps me you know like to have all my little all my i'm trivializing my own projects i have all my projects that are separate (laughs) and i'm like okay i'm gonna think i'm going in as a creator for this one or now i'm becoming Mm. a playwright for this one or now i'm shifting to thinking about directing these ones. Um, and so uh, it's exciting for me to um, be able to kind of be a little bit more free with my time and in the same way, find that structure and, and setting up working with artists. And uh, and it also, I you know, Zoom fatigue is real. I just need to say mm-hmm. Zoom fatigue is a mm-hmm. real thing. Um, but it is nice to go in, into a workshop scenario where we all have a, we're all focused on one thing, and that is telling this story and making this production beautiful. Um, and nice. so, working with other artists together, um, having that sort of unifying thing, like makes it feel normal. Like doing art right now makes me feel normal, um, and makes it feel like uh, for a few for a few hours or for a few minutes, I forget that the world is shut down. And that I can't walk up the street for a coffee and that I haven't hugged my mom in a problem going on four months, actually, because she was gone before this. So, mm-hmm. you know, I focusing on, on the theater right now is really um, helping me to think about, yeah, what what brings me joy and what gives me joy and um, and forget about the other things that are happening. Thank you so much, Kate. This has been wonderful. This has been a Homebody Productions production.